Lord have mercy, ladies and gentlemen, season three of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Stephen Cock Esquire, is at hand. We got a bunch of great guests lined up once again. We'll be talking some guitar. I'm sure we'll talk about food. I'm sure we'll talk about hilarity. That's just what's going to happen. So thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. This week on Chewing the Gristle, we have blues royalty, Bernard Allison. He is indeed the son of Luther Allison, but an absolutely frightening guitarist and artist in his own right. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking forward to this conversation with the mighty Bernard Allison this week on Chewing the Gristle. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, yet another festive edition, episode, if you will, of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. I'm here with, I'm going to say blues royalty. We got Bernard Allison checking in from beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. I've been a fan for years, and we've just recently been acquainted. We've had mutual friends, and uh, now we're going to hang out for a little bit and shoot the breeze here on our Chewing the Gristle <laughs> right broadcast. How you doing, Bernard? I'm great. Good morning, Greg. How are you, my brother? You know what? I I cannot complain. If I do complain, it sounds it sounds like a boomer. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> bitching about technology. It's right. Like I'm, always, I'm always telling technology to get off my lawn. <laughs> right. I'm I'm not I'm new to it all myself, you know. I'm old school. Give me a piece of paper and pen, I'm good. That's it. You know, I realize that you and I are about the same age. And that's oh, really? and that's, yeah, it's kind of an unusual thing. It's like all of the uh there's there's like a bunch of people like 10 years and 15 years and 20 years older than us that are in the in the uh, guitar wielding blues vein. And then there's a bunch of guys that are about 10 years younger than we are. And so on, but there's not too many of us. So exactly. let us rejoice. Generation <laughs> <laughs> gap there, <laughs> you know. Well, you yeah. know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm November 26, 65. So I'm June 23rd of 66. So oh. we're cl- we're close. <laughs> Although what's what's interesting is is that uh, apparently 65 is the official uh, boomer deadline. So I'm 66. So technically, I'm Gen X. So uh, not that any of that matters. Only when my kids start throwing around boomers, I go. Listen. Exactly. It's all good. <laughs> so I had a chance to listen to your new record. I love it. It sounds awesome. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that all came together, especially during COVID. Yeah, basically, you know, we um, I had released a live album just prior to when COVID hit and, you know, uh, live from, uh, he calls it Songs of the Road with Roof Records. And we were able to release that album slash DVD. And also, you know, uh, I, I, every January, February, I do a five-week tour of Germany where the label's based out of. So we got the tour in and got the record out and, I got home and first of all, like three days later, the whole George Floyd thing happened here. Right. And shortly after the pandemic happened, which like, you know, as well as everybody else, we're all in the same book together. So we had to stay home and lock down. And I just decided to 
just started creating my next project because I knew that I would have to have a, a new album out when everything does kind of open back up. So, you know, I just really buckled down here at home by myself with my little recorder and put down some ideas and focus on, you know, getting prepared to record highs and lows. So, you know, myself and uh, producer Jim Gaines, we were going back and forth just via email. You know, I'm shooting him ideas and he's shooting them back to me just to try to come up with something that represents Bernard Allison uh, and the fellas, you know, um, without writing about the pandemic because I figured that a lot of people would be writing about the pandemic. So right. I games and my mom and my family said write about you don't worry about the pandemic so as long as you're safe and things like that do what the allisons do you know and um because i I just knew the 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 market would be flooded with pandemic per se songs you know what i mean right so i just kind of stuck to my roots and made sure i really wanted to focus more on my songwriting ability opposed to just being a guitar related album you know just solo solo so yeah my fan base knows i can play i know i can play but at the same time there's still a lot of good guitar on this record between myself and my rhythm player dylan Safford, which you know the main kid playing guitar and you know we're very happy with the project and we're now seeing all the feedback from because it was just released, what, last Friday. Um, so we're very happy with what we presented to our fan base. And, and I'm just so thankful that all the DJs are playing it. And that's what music's all about. You know, you pass it on. You, you, you like something, take what you can use and put your own self into it. Turn it into your own stew, per se, like my dad used to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I am guilty of writing one uh, COVID song. I, I, I couldn't resist because I was eating so much just staying at home that I said I gained a quarantine. So I've got a... <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I stayed away from it. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm the same way, you know. It's, it, it was so easy to do it, you know. It's like, I think I may have started a groove and, and George was like my bass player. He's like, oh man, that's hip, man. Let's... What, what do you want to call it? Lockdown. I said, nah. <laughs> I'll save. I'll save that. I'll save that groove for something else. But it, it won't be called lockdown. <laughs> I, I understand. Now, did you do any? Um, were you doing any live streams and stuff during during uh, the COVID? No, radical. I'm not. Technically, I'm not into the. Um, I, I just recently got into the whole social media thing because I have, I have to be in tune with the, you know, the fan base. It seems like that's the only way to promote yourself. And, you know, my girlfriend does all my social media pages and she works with uh, Roof Records, his Tone Records and things like that. So she said, oh, I got to set you up a Facebook account. He said, I'll post it. You just... <laughs> Say thank you and talk to the fans. I'm getting a little bit more with it, but on a musical level, it just it it doesn't feel right to me. It, um, I need to be in the room with my guys. I need to feel that vibe, you know. I don't oppose to. I've watched a lot of yours and a lot of other artists do it, and 
was invited and I just chose not to do do it for the fact that I it's very uncomfortable for me to do it. I got you. Yeah, I, I lucked out just by having someone from my buddy Ryan from Fishman kind of help me technically because I'm just such a I just would like to avoid technology at all costs. I mean, I can figure it out, you know what I mean, as long as it's not too. But, you know, it, it was always one of those things, too, with like with home recording. It was always I knew the guys that had like, oh, I got a home studio now. But every time I talked to them, they're like, oh, my God, my, you know, this platform doesn't match up with this one because I updated this one. And and I got to get this. I can't do it until this new plugin comes in or this new mic. It's like, I don't want to deal with any of that shit. I just want to play. <laughs> exactly. So, Exactly. Keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, and even after we recorded um, this album, Jim Gaines, he was telling me, he said, I'm so surprised that you still use the old school four track and you dump the two tracks to the other track and you stack it all. He said, why don't you get a iTunes and plugins? I'm like, plugins? Shit. I, I just figured out how to charge my iWatch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> How are you talking about music? I wonder what that shit would sound like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, but that, you know, it seems to work for people. I'm just old school, you know, I'm, I'm a young man, but <laughs> I'm still old school. <laughs> you give give me a guitar, plug it in, or something like that, and turn an amp. I can turn it up to two, or I can turn it up to ten, <laughs> depending on how I feel. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what. I you know, at the first time I saw your dad, I was a youngin at uh, it was at Summerfest. Oh wow! At uh, it was probably 1980. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I had been a fan, and then I, I first heard you play actually at um, at one of those uh, Grafton Blues festivals. Okay. And I remember you plugged in, start warming up. I'm like, here we go. <laughs> and like I told you, you know, I've been a fan. I I watched you know all your workshop videos and, and just for years and. And then my uh, Toby, Toby Marshall, who played with me for a, cu a couple of years and did an album with me, he said, oh, man, me and Greg are good. I'm like, no way. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I said, well, show me a picture. I don't believe you. <laughs> 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 I'm playing with Greg. I was like, really? <laughs> and, but yeah, dude, man, I tell him, you know, I'm good friends with Eric Gales and he... He talks about you highly as well as any other guitar player that, that I know. They know who you are, and I, I appreciate what you're giving and with your podcast and all the demos and things. You're, you're you. Your, your personality is all over you. When I, when I hear a guitar, I don't have to see you, and I know it's you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, how did, how did he think of, to do that? How did how does that work? You know, me coming from, you know, the uh, old school blues and, you know, funk and R&B from my house or my upbringing to hear that type of style. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it blows me away. <laughs> well, thank you. That's so, extraordinarily flattering coming from you, my friend. Thank you. Oh, man. You know, we're all in this game together. And what we love to do is, you know, play guitars and, 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 show our true personality with trying to without trying to be someone we're not 
my personality is who I am. Your personality is who you are, as well as guitar styles, guitar things. But being able to share it with the world—that's what make. That's what I'm all about. If there's something my fan base likes, or someone that doesn't know me, ask me. I'll tell you the truth. I, you know, I have nothing to hide because I don't own any of it. It's just my. It's just how I reproduce it you know like my dad says say don't let them label you like they tried to label me as a chicago blues guitar player you know much more than that tell them you're a musician and and if they have any love or respect for you they will respect that you know and, and it's just being honest it's just it's who we are right, <laughs> you know? right 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 so describe i mean i know it's probably been asked you a thousand times but you know with your dad being who he was, was that, was it something that you always wanted to play guitar? Was it off-putting or was it just as natural as the day is long? Because none of my kids wanted to play guitar. I mean, like Dylan gravitated to drums, you know, my other son plays saxophone, the other girls, you know, they might play a little bit, but they want nothing to do with guitar because that's what dad does. But what was it like for you? For me, I always wanted to be like dad <laughs> you know and when we were kids he'd take us you know when we wasn't in school we did like the ann arbor fest like you mentioned summer fest chicago fest when he played and i'd sit on the stage and i'm like i'd run between his legs while he's trying to solo <laughs> trying to <laughs> like i want to do this someday this is what i want to do right off the bat and um but he tried his hardest to persuade me from you know, he wanted me to really focus on education, which which I did. You know, I got my diploma. And my parents always said, so get your diploma first and then you can do whatever you want. But you got to have that education. And I stuck with the music thing. And I could have played some basketball or I had scholarships to play some ball. But um, he really tried to make me not get involved in the music scene because of how difficult it was for him and, and the limitations where he could play versus what he wanted to play without being labeled, you know, without being pigeonholed. And it's like, my dad loved like Otis Redding and, and Chuck Berry and they didn't allow him to play. You know, he was very blessed with being the first and only uh, artist to record with Motown. And he did he did three albums with Motown, and, and that really it helped his name a bit, but it didn't it still didn't allow him to be who he was. So he moved to France, <laughs> you know, and became an immediate star because he was doing what he wanted to do, opposed to what they expected him to do per se. And then years later, I followed suit, but I always knew that. I'm going to play guitar, you know. I, I graduated from high school in 83. And three days later, I get a phone call from the queen of the blues, Coco Taylor, to join the blues machine. And I jumped all over it. And I was I started as the rhythm guitar player in the band. Then I became the lead guitar player. And I tell everybody today that the, the knowledge that I know musically, I already had it in my blood from my dad you know, from the Allison side, but learning how to back someone else up as a dominant, you know, my role is only to, you know, back somebody. 
And, and Coco just taught me so much. You know, I was on the road with her. I graduated at like 16. You know, by me having a late birthday, I was like one of the, the youngest in my class. And I'm like, Coco. I'm going. No, I've already, I already listened to her. I already knew her music. You know, I just, I grew up with it. So I stayed with her three years. But all my musical knowledge and what they say the rules of the road are, I learned from Coco Taylor, man. And, and just like, oh yeah, he's just one of those kids with a famous father. His dad showed him he paved the path for. Him. No, no, I paved my own path. Oh, I've been, I've had my highs, I've had my lows, you know, and, and I don't want anyone to, and I tell him, I said, don't praise me just because my father's, we're two different players, two different singers, and I just want somebody to respect me for what I'm doing. If you don't like what I'm doing, that's your choice. Tell me, tell me if I'm doing something wrong. You know, I love criticism because it's only going to make me dig deep. And I'm like, no, I want everybody to be, you know, honest about it. You know, not if I may not be everybody's cup of tea, <laughs> you know what I mean? But at least I'm true to myself and I'm true to my family name. And that's what it's all about for me. Absolutely. So what was it like? I mean, in comparison to, I mean, again, not that we're going to be like, you know, uh, boomers. <laughs> you know, looking down at things, but describe just because that the original kind of generation of electric blues practitioners, of which, of course, Coco would be, and and then you were, you know, your dad, and then you know, I, I'm sure that you were running around. You, you know, you probably met people like Muddy Waters and you know, and, and and Buddy Guy and all these different individuals, and describe that feeling of of being in that realm of performer versus what kind of is perceived as blues today, not like blues is and what it's not, but just what, what's the, um, what do you see as the, the, as the difference just artistically speaking, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. We got all these, like we say, we have these different generations of players and, you know, I fall in that generation, like, uh, like a Ronnie Baker Brooks, like a Lucky Peterson, uh, Shamika Copeland. So we're kids of creators, right? But when I was around my household, like you said, man, from, you know, Willie Dixon, the Buddy Guys, and Junior Wells, you know, you can, I can name all the artists that would come. This is before I even picked up a guitar. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm just listening to the conversations and, you know, we're taught, don't speak unless, you know, you respect your elders. I come from a very strict family. And I, you know, at that young age, I'm I'm just floored because I've heard my father's presented the music to him. And now these, I'm actually seeing these people. And then I get old enough now, he can take me with him to festivals and I can see them perform and I compare it to the Oh, that's that voice, or that's that guitar sound, man. That's Albert King. Right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. my dad's like, "How do you, how do you do store that on?" I said, "You know, I don't know how I do it, but I know that's him." <laughs> right, right, right. But you know, to see them all like at a festival, you know, as well as any other musician when you're touring, the only chance you really get is on a festival scene to see old friends or per se idols and. 
I remember going to like Chicago Fest when I was eight years old and seeing my dad backstage with Buddy and uh, Bo Diddley, <laughs> you know, Magic Sam, Holland Wolf, all, all these names. And I'm like, the older I got, and I'm like, look at this. And basically, they don't even talk about music. They talk about shooting dice and, or playing cards or, you know, how to make ends meet. You know, my dad was working at Caterpillar tra- Tractors out of Peoria, Illinois. He bought him a station wagon and on the weekends, he'd load up the gear and play, you know, the Chicago circuit. He'd come back in and go to work. You know, I'm in kindergarten at this t- time, you know, but I always wanted to go because... I love the music. I'm like, I'm like, one day I'm going to be able to travel like my dad and, and meet all these musicians and pre- present my style of music to people. And, you know, I, I just, today it, it's a little bit wider, um, you know, with the generations. And now you got blues rock, you got blues, uh, you got Texas blues, West Coast, East Coast, where before they really didn't put a stamp on that, you know, Especially when they got together, you know, it's like they were happy to see each other. You know, I remember my dad telling me stories about he was based on the west side of Chicago. Buddy Guy was on the south side and they go to each other's venues, right, and play for a bottle of whiskey. No money. (laughs) They play for that. I'm the best of Chicago, West Side. If you win, okay, I got to come to you. Black, and it went on for years. If you look at like Cadillac Records, they kind of skimmed the basics, that movie, of how things worked. But in, you know, when, when you're in that circle and seeing all this stuff going on, I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. You're playing for a bottle with no money? Or, no, it was just, okay, it's, it's like a, a challenge. <laughs> the West Side's better than the South Side. And at the end of the day, and then years later, when I was a, a member of my dad's band, we did a show with Buddy in Japan. And I already knew Buddy because we had done plenty of shows with um, Coco with him. And uh, they get to talking about this very same thing that I'm saying right now about shooting dice and who owned, who owned the bottle of whiskey this week. And it was just like they were kids in the candy store. <laughs> just see their eyes light up. And I really miss that about um, the generation, what's going on now, you know, because we're not often together or, you know, you're too blues for this or you're too rock for this. And I'm like, man, I come from a school where it, everybody was the same. Yeah, they they had their slot, they play their music, they present their music, but behind the scenes, man, they're talking, they're gambling and drinking and telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really miss that. And, you know, I was like, like I said, I was like 16 and I just sit back in the corner and just suck it all up. I'm laughing my ass off at some of the jokes. <laughs> but that's how, that's just that old school thing, and I, I really do miss it, you know. So, for you as as a uh, as a young guitar player, how much was there the ability or the opportunity to uh, to sit down with guitars out with some of these icons and say, "Hey, show me that thing," or "Hey, kid, you should learn this thing." How much of that went on? Well, you know, I didn't have a lot of teaching at all. I pretty much <laughs> I can't read. <clears throat> excuse me. I can't read or, or any style of music. I tried and 
grade school and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, uh, it's a little bit too slow for me. My mind thinks faster than what you're trying to get me to read. <laughs> Let me hear. I, I'll be like, play me what you're talking about. And then I can go to the guitar and figure it out. But um, I had really, I taught myself how to play. I listened to all my dad's, you know, influences from like Muddy, Otis Rush, Mahalia Jackson, all, all different genres. But back then, you know, we had the turntable. So I, what I do is put on my dad's record and I'd slow it down. <laughs> I'd slow it down. I think what you have, 33, 45. And I slow and it down. 16 or something. 16, yeah. you know, <laughs> and that's how I picked out the notes. I'm like, okay, this is what he's doing. Then I speed it up and get back in the right key. And pretty much I'm a self-taught musician, as well as my father. He's the same way. And he'd say, yeah, you can learn it, but the music, the if, if you put a block, on, uh, put you, myself inside a block, I'm going to break out of that block because I'm, that's just not my nature. My plan comes from my heart, my my personality, uh, so the only one that really, really sat me down and showed me a lick or so, I'd have to say, yeah, obviously my dad showed me some things, but Johnny Winters uh, actually sat me down and showed me how to open tune. And I, I just love the slide guitar. You know, I grew up on Earl Hooker and Elmore James. By when I heard Johnny and met Johnny and Edgar, they'd come to our house with my dad. And we used to be afraid of it. me and my brother, Luther Jr. was like, what? We've never seen an albino. Right. <laughs> so every time my mom and dad, they say, Johnny and Edgar's coming over. We just hide in the closet with people. Cause I, <laughs> like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know? And yeah. then the older I got, I started getting into the music and he actually went, once again, when I was with Coco, we did a package tour with Johnny. And he was like, you're Luther's boy. I remember you. And it's like, wow, you're, you're playing music. And I said, can you show me how you play this, like, that slide guitar? And he's like, first of all, you got I tune open, open D or it can be open G or whatever. So he showed me, wrote it down and played the list. And Matt Greg, a matter of like, I say two weeks, I was playing slide, like kind of like Johnny Winters. That just shows where my ear was on that. But he's he's like, okay, if you're playing that lick up high here, put try it down on the twelfth fret, you know. And I, I ended up teaching my dad how to open tune slide. Huh, no kidding. Yeah, his last three records, all that slide, he never played open tune. And he just, same with me, gave him game about two weeks and I'm staying. He didn't want to put the slide down. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, between my dad and Johnny Winters, as far as, you know, just showing me a technique or a lick or something like that, those are basically the only two. Everything else, I kind of heard it and figured it out on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love I love Johnny Winter. I think I, I think my favorite Johnny Winter stuff <clears throat> I like it all, but the, I I love the stuff he did with Muddy Waters, especially oh, on the, uh, the right. King B the King B record where he kind of let his freak flag fly a little bit. Yeah, man, <laughs> you know that's the same with me because you know he was a part of Alligator Records towards the end of his career, and you know they um 
they kind of like wanted to kind of overshadow the Johnny Winters live and alive and the muddy water stuff and put him let let him kind of take a take on all of that and some of you know I love like the rock and roll hoochie coos and all that you know that's great that's classic Rick Derringer Johnny Winter I really love like the guitar slinger album and where he actually played you know some Lonnie Brooks songs and you know really sh- showed the people where he got his ideas from and, and I today's genre a lot of them don't do it you know they um, not even today. I can go back, you know, a couple different generations that so-called called this style their song or, you know what I mean? It's like with Johnny and most of the true blues guys, they give respect back and say, no, nah, that's, that, that's not me. That's my take on it. But this is where you're actually showing them where it comes from and giving them the credit where you got it from. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about the whole honesty of the game. You know, you can't sneak nothing by me <laughs> because, and, and even the young players, there's some killer players. And I tell them, I said, man, don't start at Stevie Ray and go up. <laughs> Figure right. out where Stevie Ray came from, you know, because exactly. it's either Stevie Ray or Clapton, you know, that's, that's where they want to start. Or that's what they were presented. It's like, figure out where they, those guys come from and go down and widen that. Because if you know the bottom, uh, anything, you're missing a whole lot of <laughs> music going on. And, and Absolutely. I hear it now in these players that really listen to what I say. And I'm not the only one that said it to them. But, you know, the ones that refuse to listen to it, they're going to be stuck. They're stuck in it. Now you're in a you want to be Stevie Ray Vaughan and you have no knowledge of where he comes from. Right. right, right because right. that's the bottom of your knowledge. <laughs> right. And Stevie Ray Vaughan, first time I saw him, I saw him as a young kid in New Orleans. And years later, when Texas Flood came out, I heard it on the radio and I'm like, wow, Albert King got a new song. Right. And then at the end of it, said, Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's playing tonight in PRA at the Civic Center or whatever. And he called my mom to bring me to the sound check. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he said, you're probably too young to remember him, but you met him probably, I think I think I was like seven or eight years old. And <clears throat> kind of like threw me for a loop. And then we're walking to the, in the venue and there's a, his guitar tech is actually playing, right? And I'm like, damn, this, that shit's loud. And it sounded like Albert King to me. But it wasn't Stevie. It was his guitar. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And then the the door opened, and here comes Stevie. He goes, clink, clink. (laughs) I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) He finished the check, and he said, hey, baby, brother, do you remember me? And I said, honestly, I don't, but I heard you on the radio. (laughs) So he hands me, he said, I hear you play guitar too. And I'm, I'm trying to figure, how do, how do you know? But he's been in touch with my father and, and my family for years. He said, I know you. And he hands me his number one strat, Lenny, right? He said, Here's your t- this, is a, this is my accent. I'm like, I'm almost scared to hit the string because I know how loud, how loud it is. 
I try to bend his. I cannot even move the string. He's got a 15 on the E. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like 12 years old. <laughs> I'm like, here you go, man. I, I got to grow up. <laughs> I, I, I want to be like you. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it, it's just a, tr- a trip. The things that I uh, that I've experienced and seen, you know, as a kid and then, you know, fronting my own from Coco to fronting my own band is I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. <laughs> you know, I, it's not about being on the top of a chart or winning an award. I know what I like to do. I know what I'm capable of doing. I have, you know, an open mind and. That's what it's all about for me. I just I love music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand. Yes, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you mentioned Stevie Ray and the Albert King thing. I I had a similar experience. You know, I was um, uh, not in, not in meeting him and being invited to a sound check, but the whole Albert King thing. I remember right. when that um, uh, when that David Bowie tune came out, "Let's Dance." Dance. And, and I heard that. I was like. Who's that? It can't be Albert, but it sounds exactly like Albert King. And at that time, you know, where I was, you know, I was the only one who knew who Albert King was. And I thought and I and I remember I I, t- I had this cassette tape that I recorded. There used to be this radio show on the public station, like late at night on Sundays. And I would rec- and they would have like it was called Portraits in Blue. And they would <clears throat> do like a biography and talk about the person and play all their tunes. And Albert King was it for me. It's like, how can anyone sound like that? Right. And and then um, and then I heard this, and I was trying in my own way to do it. Then I heard this person playing on the on this day. I was like, "Who is this son of a bitch that's doing that?" You know, <laughs> right. and, and that and that's what led me the whole. Because and I was a absolutely massive Hendrix fan. So for me, it's like I totally got because there was so much cool stuff about Hendrix that I I knew that a lot of people just overlooked. They thought of him as just this, you know, fuzzed out, you know. Star Spangled Banner or Purple Haze or Foxy Lady or Voodoo Child, and that was it. Like, no, when he plays that clean blue shit, it's it's killer. His rhythm oh, playing, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And so that's what 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 drove me to to Stevie Ray writers. And then I got that Texas Flood record. And I'm, I'll never forget. I, I I got that record, and I I uh, we got on it like on a Saturday, and I think I was like a junior in high school. <clears throat> and me and my buddies got some beer and we're listening to this record. And so I had a few beers and so I'm a little buzzed. <laughs> I go, I go home and I, I forced my parents at, at risk of being busted for being a little inebriated. It's like, listen to this. This is what I want to do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> right, man. But that, I had the chance to actually play with Albert. Um, we're on tour with Albert. With with Coco, I had seen him as a kid with my dad like many times, but I was like scared shitless. <laughs> He's like, "Come on, baby, play some blues." Because you know, uh, Albert was a you know. You talk to any of the old school guys, Albert King, he wasn't the nicest guy. No, he was a he was, <laughs> and a he was like six six. <laughs> you know, right. he, he drove his bus by himself, and it was his way. Or Norway, kind of like Holland Wolf was the same deal. So we get up there. He said, I hear you, you know how to play Born Under the Bad Sign, right? So he kicked off Born on the Bad Sign. And first of all, he's left handed. He's pulling the strings down in his hands. I have big hands, but his hands were like mad, looked like a catcher's mitt. And he hits that note. Ding! 
and looks at me if I play song. I'm like, what do I play? Bid <laughs> 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 down. And my dad always told me, don't copy his licks. Don't, don't, if you know his licks, do not do that. <laughs> he said, right, play, right. play a chord or something. He said, he's pulling you in, he's going to pull you in that bag and tear your ass up. <laughs> right. Right. But he came up to me after and he said, man, I really like where your head is headed, you know, back in Coco and all that and respecting. Because I pretty much laid out, I knew where to lay out when he was doing his vocals and where he played his list. So I, I really, I didn't care to play a solo or anything. I was damn near scared to, pl- to bend anything, <laughs> you know. He plugged into that big acoustic amp and I'm using a little uh, Music Man 112 <laughs> and his shit's on ten, and my I can't even turn mine past two with Coco. So right, right, I, right. I'm just thrown in this massive sound, and I'm I'm more starstruck than anything. I'm like, wow, I'm actually up here. He invited me up here, you know, and and, and I just treasure all that stuff, man. And <laughs> I wish it, I wish it they could be here now and just do one fucking massive guitar class, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's left up to us to do that now. Yes, you know, I have to say one of my my favorite memories of all time. I, I had a, I had an Albert King experience. It was funny because it was at Summerfest in Milwaukee, and uh, there was this buddy of mine, uh, Big Bob, and Big Bob was kind of a booking agent in town. He had his own band. And um, I would play every now and again with Bob because he was just fun. It was just like this kind of a sloppy blues thing and everyone would kind of get overserved. And uh, it just kind of was what it was. And so he asked me to do kind of a special guest thing on an afternoon slot at Summerfest. So I said, I'd do it. And so I'm out there, we're playing and uh, it's slow blues tune. He says, take a solo. So I do my solo and my eyes are closed and I get done doing the solo. The The crowd's reacting a little bit. And I turn to my left, and there's Albert King sitting on the side of the fence, just like this. And he looks at me, and he goes like this. And, right. I was like, oh. and, I was, and, it's, and then we went on a break shortly thereafterwards. And those guys that I was playing with, like, let's get Albert to sit in. He liked the way I said, "Don't say a word to him. Don't go up to him. I, I got that. I don't need anything." <laughs> because I had heard the stories, you know. And You're sure right. enough. Sure enough, they, they went on his bus and they're like, Albert, hey, uh, you know, we saw you checking us out. You want to sit in with us? And he said, fuck, no. Now get off my bus. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was Albert, too. <laughs> like, and, and, then, and then a little while later, I was going by and he like passed me. I was like, I just need to shake your hand. He goes, and he just shakes my hand and smiles. And that was it. Yeah, like, that's, that's all. That's all I needed. Exactly. And that's that's why like what we we're just talking about, you know, what I miss most about it, those 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 creators, man, it was something about them, you know, there's no egos of, of any sort. They just got right to business, you know. It's like we play this and I'm gonna do it my way. <laughs> I don't care what you say, but I'm still gonna be friendly and be respectful to to others. You know, I I I ran across some festivals when we're like the only per se blues rock band with, you know, punk music and all this stuff. And you can just feel the demeanor, you know, of this. It's a real eerie feeling of, okay, wow, we're the greatest 
of the greatest. Okay, that's that's fine. I know who you are, but there's no need to. If I say hello, you turn your back on me. Or say, okay, I get it. You don't want to be bothered, or you're a rock star, or whatever you call it. Right. <sighs> that I I can't be involved in that situation because I we're all out here doing what we love to do. I don't care if it's country. I don't care if it's rock. I don't care if it's metal. I give every every genre a chance. If I, you know, I don't try to play everything. I. I I'll steal and dibble from certain things, but I have respect for anybody that attempts to share their talent with the world, regardless of the genre. You know what I mean? And just keep keep things real, man. And that's why the music is so scattered today. And now everybody's trying to reteach the youngsters where this stuff comes from. We should have been doing that all all the time. Like, damn. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was gonna I was gonna ask you something because someone mentioned this to me the other day, and I I know you're the same way. You always like to connect the dots. You know what I mean? It's like, where did this person get this from? And where did this person get that from? But when you talk about, I mean, like there's so many, I mean, like I always say, like BB King for so many people is where it all started. There's not I mean, even some of the things that people don't think, like there's some certain Johnny Winter things that are faster that are actually B.B. King licks that are sped up. You know what I mean? But Albert King was one of those guys, like, where did he get it from? Because I, I I haven't really been able to go, okay, well, there's Albert. Well, he listened to this guy and this guy because it's just so him. You know what I mean? Do, do, right. are you, do you know where, who he listened to? Well, you know, Albert, that whole co- Albert King, B.B., Albert, Freddie, right? So you, <laughs> Albert was like, I'm trying to think, like Gatemouth Brown, for example. Oh, yeah. Clarence Gatemouth Brown, uh, they, Albert and Freddie especially, they listen to a lot of country music as well as, are you familiar with Wayne Bennett? Yes. Yeah, Wayne Bennett was uh, Bobby, Bobby Blue Bland's guitar uh, player for years. A lot of that, Wes Montgomery and, and Hendrix pretty much got his thing from Albert. Buddy and, and and Freddie, you know, he'd sit and watch and, you know, he'd store those notes. But on, on the scale, I think it it was like uh, Wayne Bennett and then um, my dad said, um, you know, Earl, I believe it's Earl Hooker. There's quite a few names and a lot of the names aren't really known because, you know, Albert was from like that, uh, that Arkansas, deep Arkansas South area. Right. And he was a drummer, I guess, originally. So he growing up in the churches, and so there's there's so many even gospel players. And by him being left-handed, you know, he took on a whole that that itself, right? It, it changes everything. Because I I used to I say, like, fuck, I wish I was left-handed where I can pull down on, <laughs> you know. But, but it's weird because he he tuned to that minor chord, <laughs> right? And then, and then Albert Collins tuned tuned to a, a minor chord. Just- yeah, exactly. That, and that's the whole, you know. Actually, Joe Bonamassa did um, a demonstration on Albert, and it's ex- really explained to uh, the people how he tuned and, and and you know those odd strings and how you hear one thing and if you look at his hand, it's not doing that. And that very interesting. Actually, 
I found a couple riffs that I've been playing wrong the whole time. And then because I went back and I'm like, how do, how the fuck did he do that? You know, get the high end stuff, but I never knew he he'd pull off on the top, on the bass strings. And I'm like, that's that's it. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? So just the whole difference of being left-handed and being able to hit the bottom fret. Right. You know, it's I I don't know, man, but um, that's a very good question. But from my knowledge, I I know for a fact that he listened to a lot of Wayne Bennett and and Gate Mouth Brown was a big part of, you know, he just flipped the the grooves over and, you know, he played very simple, strong notes opposed to a Gate Mouth. He had that uh, heavy country influence because he could pick up the fiddle and tear your ass up. <laughs> you yeah, know, he can play anything on that fiddle, he played on the guitar. So, but that's, that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little deeper. I'm going to call my mom. She'll tell me. My mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, one of the things with Hendrix that I I was always trying to figure out is like, those little fall off things that he did. You know, those little, those little things he does at the end. That was my favorite shit. The quick stops. I call Quick stops. Yeah. And I'm like, and then I thought, and then I started snooping around and and, and the best I could figure was that, you know, he was hip to, to, um, you know, Hubert Sumlin used to do that stuff. And, and then, but also Albert Collins. And I I read a thing not too long ago where Hendrix talked that did some touring when he was back in his early days, he knew Albert and saw him play in some places. So I'm sure you know, Hendrix was a sponge that way. But one of the great things about Hendrix, too, is, as we were talking about, is that he never, I mean, like, you can hear where he got stuff from Albert King, but unlike Stevie Ray Vaughan, who, like, verbatim did the, which, which, and again, he did it as good as it can be done. Hendrix is like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm going to do my own thing with it. And he did that with everybody. And that's what I thought was so cool about Jimmy as amongst all of them. You know what I mean? Exactly. He took it, you know, he took it to that next level. And that's what I say and say, okay, you want to mix all this stuff and show your respects, put it all in the pot, get this piece, get this piece and, and stir it up. Now find yourself, make it, make it your own. You know where it comes from. Make, and that's what Hendrix was all about. Like you said, hey, I, here's some Albert King, here's some Ernie Isley, here's this all, but now it's Hendrix. <laughs> They can't do that. They gonna have to. They gonna have to figure that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's put. It's, he's put his own signature and said, "Okay, go for it. Here you go. <laughs> figure this. You know, kind of like kind of like you. You pick up the guitar and just just you're smiling, talking shit to everybody, and I'm hearing fucking Albert Lee, Al King, Johnny Winters, Roy Buchanan. <laughs> I'm like." Listen to this dude here, <laughs> but that's what I like. You, 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 that's your, that's your thing, man. And nobody can never take take it away from you what you know. And I really love you for that. Oh well, thank you. Well, you know, we've been talking about maybe doing some stuff together. I think that would be a blast. Yeah, I'm really look, looking forward to it. And I think we can pull it off. You know, um, you know, from my side of things. It's in talks right now, and I just think it'd be great, man, to, you know, me, us to do something together in, in my fan base area, in your fan base area, and and show them exactly what we're talking about here, how 
you can mix all these genres and where we come from and, and this demonstration of not per se blues, I say music, you know, to show them how people are first going to say, how is that going to work? <laughs> you and they speak, you know, it, yeah, it's going to work. <laughs> we both have our ideas. We set our minds to something. And it's all about giving the people and showing him that things can work. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And creating. All I want to do is put a smile on your face, vice versa, and make sure they're happy and give them something to go home and, and think about. They're going to research, okay, who is these guys? Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I think that the European crowd as well as the, the United States crowd, if we can, you know, block off those periods like we discussed, um, I think they're going to love it, man. And, and I, my fingers and toes are crossed that we can pull it off. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I look forward to it. Yes, sir. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. I wanted to ask you how how you ended up in Minneapolis. I mean, we, you talked earlier about being in in Europe, and first of all, des- describe what that was like. Because you know, we just as we were saying, there's a different experience that happens with musicians, and especially American roots music is appreciated over there in a, in a right. different way, and also in kind of more of an open minded way in terms of genres and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm interested is how was that, and and why did how did you end up in Minneapolis, or was that like a family thing, or how that all worked out. Um, I went over and my dad had called me 1989 to come over and record a live. He was doing a double live album in Berlin. The day we arrived that morning um, is when the wall came down ah. and we recorded the live album. And he's like, okay, come on. I want you to play on the album. You know, I had already uh, left Coco Tail. I had my, I had just actually started my own band, so I flew over and did the rehearsals and did the album, but my dad hadn't really realized how much I had progressed per se, you know, on the guitar and and playing rhythms and stuff. But but you know, I was with Coco for three years, and and then you know we did the album. I was, I was scheduled to come back home that following week back to my mom. And he said, you know what? He said, I want you to stay and be my band leader. And I'm like, whoa, my dream came true. My, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I, that comes, that's what I set out to do. I always wanted to not only be like my father, but to be able to. I had played with him, you know, sit in a couple songs growing up and recorded when it actually my first recording, I was 12. He did a live album in Peoria, Illinois, and I played a few songs in, you know, the guitarist weight. He's playing the fucking BB uh, King 335, and it was bigger than me, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So when I had, to, when I moved to Europe, I'm like, oh, wow. It, you know, actually things really opened up for me, but I was very uncomfortable. 
um, with not being able to talk to people, the French people. I couldn't speak French or nothing, and the food was weird. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, pops. But so I, I got to wait that option of staying there and getting used to it or coming back home and just doing my own thing. And I chose to stay, and that was the smartest thing I could have done. I learned French and I still don't care too much about the food, but uh, <laughs> I'll make it work, you know. But yeah, it freaked me out. He'd start taking me around to meet uh, local musicians, a lot of African players, like the drummer, uh, what's his name, Paco Seri. And so you go up and talk to him, and you know, the singers, the guitar players, I'm like, wow, these guys are badass. They're, they can play some shit, you know. And you go to talk to them, they can't talk. I'm like, well, how can you sing that song? How can you say I'm tore down, but you can't even say <laughs> nothing else in <laughs> English, you know? And my dad said, they basically put on those records. They learn it note for note. They can voice it out. They cannot speak English. I'm like, I ain't never seen no shit like this before. <laughs> like, I'll take it or leave it, but... It taught me so much um, musically by being involved, especially the African players, because they played and, you know, me coming from the blues is all about 12 bar, my okay, minor or whatever. They're playing with these tempos like, I'm like, how do, you know, how do I wrap my finger? How can I play to that tempo? You know, uh, they're doing six eights and, and all this. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? But some of those players, man, they play those African rhythms and, and things that we never hear. Like, uh, you know, me, our era, growing up, unless you really research European, African reggae bands or whatever, you, you don't hear it. It's not natural for us to do that. And um, so I got a chance over the years to meet so many crazy musicians, which put me in another field. And widen my vocabulary as how I can approach and, and communicate with them. I know they can't speak no English, but we can. I can. We can communicate musically, and, and it just blows me away. And their appreciation for the blues per se versus here in the states. It's like, how do you guys know this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And most of your blues artists are more successful there than here. And I, I get the question all the time. So why don't you play here? I said, well, first of all, you don't want to pay me. <laughs> you know? and, and you don't, you haven't really given me the, the chance to, to uh, let me do, or let me show this and that where they allow me to do what I, they accepted me from my first album, you know, from rock to blues to funk to, and I've done it on every album. I'm, I'm, I'm showing you what I grew up with. I'm showing you different ways you can mix these genres. And, you know, I, it's getting better, you know, for me here in the States, but still, you know, my moneymaker is Europe. You know, I'm, I tell people I'm part European, part part American, you, you know, but, you know it, everybody has their own experience with it, but you, you know as well, you've been all around the world, and yeah, everybody said, what's the difference between the States and Europe and Japan and Russia or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you have to go and 
all there's some tremendous music going around. So stop pigeonholing yourself or or stop trying to label what this is better or this is worse or ah, it's all bullshit. <laughs> you know, it's all music, you know. Learn your history where it comes from. And then you then you talk about those situations. you can talk about those situations openly. If you don't know, ask. Somebody knows, do your research. <laughs> you know, right, right, with right. That technology, it don't take long to punch somebody in, Wikipedia or whatever. Google YouTube, you know, and that's the advantage they have now. Because when we were growing up, we didn't have YouTube. Right. <laughs> we had Wolfman Jack and American right. and the Soul Train. <laughs> right. But they, they wouldn't write out the music and say, okay, this is how you play that. <laughs> yeah, I like to say back in the day, we had vinyl and we had beer. And that was about it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> have a vinyl beer party. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so bizarre now. I mean, I, I I mentioned this in a lot of these chats that we do, but I mean, remember back back in the day, you'd get like a guitar player magazine or something, and you'd read about some guitar player, and they would it would they would name off all these people. Well, I listened to this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Like, well, where the hell am I going to find those records? You know, unless you, and I was never really you know one of those guys that would go to like you know record conventions and ship away from records. Like, I'd go to a used record store, and what I found, I found. You know? But nowadays, man, you could any book you're reading on somebody or some article or whatnot, and they mention some obscure dudes from back in the day or whatever the case may be, someone has either uploaded audio on YouTube or you can see footage of these people playing or someone's breaking down how they're playing or they, they themselves they, are showing how to play this shit. It's like I always say there's really no reason to suck at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And and the funniest thing about, you know, the whole technology thing, and I'm sure you found it, you'll, you can be on Facebook and somebody will post a, a, a snippet or a video or even post a picture of you back, back in the day. And you don't even remember the picture. You know, it's you, <laughs> you know, or you hear something say, damn, that sounds like one of my first bands or and you start doing the research. Oh, this is Greg Kosh. <laughs> he was like 18 years old. It's like, what? What? How come I don't have that stuff? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just recently had a friend send me something like my first show with Coco Taylor. I look like a little wet puppy. What a big hat. <laughs> 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 that's great. But memories, memory. But yeah, the technology thing, man, that's. That's a whole, like you say, there's no reason for for you to be a bad player of any instrument because oh my god, it's all it's all out there. I mean, you still got to put the time in. You got to have the feel right. It's interesting because you know a lot of times you know people will will say that it's it's almost a hindrance now because people are they you know I I see it as like the golden age for me. You know what I mean? It's like all these different things like in the back of my mind. I'm like. Man, you know, I always wanted to learn that one tune and and now just to have access to the audio without having to go, well, I got to go buy the CD someplace or, you know what I mean? Or else see the, the them actually play it. Like, man, I wonder if there's footage of them actually playing it. Are they doing it up here or doing it down there? And just having that is just so, so awesome. But I, well, other people take it as, yeah, but it's too easy now. There's too much stuff out there. People can't focus on this, that, the next thing. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? You got <laughs> to take the good with the bad, I reckon. Exactly. <laughs> Hey Greg, I wanted to ask you one question though. Um, when you're when you're playing live or over the years, have you ever 
use wireless systems, for example. When I never have. Yeah, some people are totally against. I used to be a hate it, you know, because I always hear this radio or somebody talking that, you know, that's the beginning of a wireless system. But I, I myself and George, um, we've been endorsing this new company out of Holland called Stage Clicks, man. And it's they have frequencies that nobody else can reach and it doesn't change your sound and stuff like that. So um, we're actually going to be helping them by presenting some units and having them try, you know, they have some professional units, some for wind, some for uh, in-ears and things like that. But they're very, very good. And I just wanted to feel, hear your take on how you really feel about, you know, the wires. Like Dylan, he don't want to deal with it. <laughs> you know? Well, I wouldn't mind checking it out. You know, there, you know, I, um, I go through various different phases of not wanting any crap on the ground in front of me. And that's one of the reasons why I work with that caulk amplifier company from Holland right. to make that signature amp because it's got everything on it. I mean, exactly. It's, I, so I got the foot switch for the amp, a cord, the guitar, and I'm done. Right. And uh, But then during during COVID here, I started to mess around with it. It's kind of nice to have a little Univibe. You know what I mean? It's kind of nice to have my little Leslie simulator. <laughs> it's kind of fun to have this. So now I've been messing around with having a few more things, but um, I've never really just, I've never been opposed to the idea of, of wireless. I've other than, you know, you know, there were certain people like, like Angus Young's whole sound was, it was, that was part of his sound was the way that thing sounded. And, uh, but if, if there was one that worked and it did not diminish the guitar sound at all. And it was one less thing I had to worry about was packing up a chord. Right. I'd be all about it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I can talk to Ernie, the guy, and I'll ship you units and, and um, have you try it, man, because it, I was blown away. I was using the Sure system for years, which which was fine, you know, top-notch Sure. But this thing, it's so light and, and the range and the clarity and it's all about the frequencies, what you can reach and what you can't. And if they're like 5.8 hertz or something that no other system is there even like barely touching for. <laughs> but I, I'll definitely have you check it out, see what you think. Because I could totally see you guys doing what your trio thing and you with your personality walking out in the fucking crowd and just <laughs> Go do a hold the trail. Go go have you a beer. Right. <laughs> I, I'll be back. And <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, check it out. But I, I just really wanted to. I always ask people, you know, try to help, you know, some different companies with some things, and you know, it works for me. But like you say, it doesn't work for everybody. And if it diminishes, you know, your tone and thing. But I I haven't experienced that not with this unit so. But we'll, we'll we'll hook it up. That sounds good. Yeah, I was going to ask you something about you know back in the day, um, we got these these guitars and they were Swiss guitars. Um, into the I, I worked at a, this music store for a couple of years when I was just out of college, and uh, and I had this one Strat like guitar. And it was a blade, a Gary Levinson blade. I have one. That's one of my main. I have a custom. They're, they're killer, are they not? <laughs> yeah, I have a custom. It's called the Milky Way. Uh, it's, it's, it's packed up in the other room and um, me and my dad played Montreux and Livingston was there and 
they had a, a little music store outside of the venue. And then my dad picked up these guitars and was jamming. And Gary came in. He's like, wow, you guys are getting some tones out of these guitars. And so we got to talking to him. And he ended up giving us two. And we used them for years. And then it was that next year, on my birth, I had drew him a picture. I said, I want this guitar. And that Christmas morning, it came in the mail. And I call it the Milky Way. I used it for years, man. I just recently put it down like three years ago when I did my Let It Go album because I wanted to get away from the sound and start. I wanted the Gibson sound, blah, blah, blah. But they're badass guitars. So I drew, I had a dream of the Milky Way in the sky. So the body's all, you know, painted, airbrushed, Milky Way. I wanted a reverse neck because I always wanted to be left-handed, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and the tuners are down, down below. Just as cool. Got stars in the frets. And then, but the preamp in it, man. Oh. It's killer, right? <laughs> that, that little three-way toggle switch thing is awesome. Oh, and then you kick that sucker down, you can adjust the mids, the lows, the, the overdrive. Yeah, yeah. And everybody today said, man, where's the Milky Way? I'll bring it back sometime, man. <laughs> In fact, Gary came to see us uh, right before the pandemic. He came out to see us and he, he wants to make me another guitar for slide guitar, you know. Ah, cool. We were going to be in touch with him. But yeah, man, if anybody, if you haven't heard about them blades. <laughs> you know? I, I had a nice chat with him a couple of years ago at uh, Music Mesa in, in Frankfurt. And I, I kind of told him the story because for whatever reason, the store that we were at at the time, they were like one of their first dealers in the States. And those guitars were not cheap. They oh, were, no, no. They're still not cheap. <laughs> and and I, I, I got a, uh, I had like this purple. It was like a transparent purple with like gold hardware and it had ebony neck. And that was my main guitar. And then I got another one that was kind of like a, like an orange burst. They had those kind of mirrored pick guards, as I remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, but what's funny is, is I remember, but I, I wanted to strat like this buddy of mine, this buddy of mine in town here. Uh, yeah, he's about ten years older than me or so, and he had this '56 Strat. And every time, and he had, he was hip to old guitars before it was like a thing because he was just he was a retro dude from he, he liked old trucks, he used old amps, he had a flat top, you know, and the, and the <laughs> trucker sideburns with like Greg Allman linked hair and back. It's the first kind of like rockabilly mullet. I never <laughs> and he had this 56 strat and i would play that guitar i was like man i i want this guitar and i couldn't afford an old one at the time but at the through the store the fender custom shop um you could order whatever you wanted so i figured out you know what era that neck was it's like a november of 56 and and i, I always wanted kind of a you know, a swamp ash body with it was kind of transparent sonic blue and yada. So, anyways, I ordered that guitar, and uh, what's funny about it is, is that um, I the guitar came, and it was really bright sounding for me because you're used to the blade, you know, the ebony fingerboard, those pickups. It was it was a little darker sounding, and so I was trying to get used to the Strat. And luckily, I was playing the Strat the night that the guys from Fender came, because <laughs> I could have easily been playing that blade. 
And the Fender guys came in and said, man, we should do something with you. We should do this. I was like, yes, fantastic. <laughs> okay, right, right. Because kind of, I could have easily been playing that blade. And, of course, once that happened, I, I was using the Fenders all the time. But those blades were great guitars. I mean, they were like a... They were like a super strat, but yeah, the, that little toggle switch, you know, it would do this thing where like it did this like real transparent kind of great for funk stuff. And then like right. the middle one was just like a regular strat. And then when you wanted a little bit more girth, it was that neck. It was perfect. Right. Right. That's so bizarre that you mentioned the blade because <laughs> me and my dad, he used them for years. A couple, actually he's got them on a couple of his album covers. Same yeah, I remember that. You know, uh, my Milky Way, and uh, I ended up giving the first one that he gave it to my old guitar tech. You know, I had wore the fucking neck out. <laughs> you know, he said, "Here, I'll take it." And he ordered a new neck for it from Blade, and he still has the guitar. But yeah, there's there's nothing that sounds like my Milky Way. Cause people are like, "That thing sounds like a Strat. It sounds like a Gibson. It's all in that preamp, man." It, Gary, you guys that's listening, man, if you want to hear some funky ass preamps and pickups, look at Gary Levinson, that shit, man. I had never heard anything like that, you know. And I played, I played it for years, and mine has a graphite neck on it, you know. And it's just, if I want to get clean or if I go up to that, like you say, that toggle switch, I go in the middle and I warm things up or I go by and tweak the bass and trip treat the mids i'm good you don't you don't really need a pedal or anything it's right. all are you know yep crazy <laughs> right on my brother crazy stuff well listen thanks so much for taking time to chat today it was an absolute blast likewise greg man it's anytime i can we can talk shit like this i'm all for it but i'm really pushing we're pushing the buttons to make this thing happen where we can actually collaborate and do some touring together if not even recording something man i love that'd be awesome i'm in (laughs) all right (laughs) all right my friend will you take care of yourself i'll talk to you soon all right thank you greg thank you have a good one bye-bye Thanks so much for tuning in to Chewing the Gristle. We certainly do appreciate it. On behalf of Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and our friends at Fishman Transducers, we say, don't be a stranger now. Keep on coming back. We're going to keep on giving her. 